Good afternoon and welcome to a special edition of the Left Pod Learn English Football Podcast. I'm your host Tim and I'm here with... Tom. How are you Tom? I'm well thanks Tim, how are you? Well it's been a big day in English football and uh, I'm sure all of our listeners will be excited to hear the big news. Um, have you been watching much football t- uh, this weekend Tom? Have you been hearing the news? I've caught the highlights and I think when you say hearing the news you're talking about the big story, the big sacking. Yes, he got sacked in the morning. As the famous song goes, he was mm-hmm. sacked in the morning. So at least they chose the right time of day to do it. Yes, for any of our listeners who aren't sure, we're talking about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Manchester United. He has lost his job. This came after a 4-1 defeat away from home at Watford. Yes, uh, you got it right there. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, he is a goner. Mm. Um, it, was a, it was a 4-1 defeat yesterday at Watford. Watford have been really struggling this season. I know that because I saw them against Arsenal last weekend and they presented very little danger going forward. They didn't know how to, to, to move the ball uh, quickly through transition to create danger for our defence. But then when they played United, it was like a hot knife through butter. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that mean, Tom? Is it easy or difficult to cut through the United defence? It sounds like their attacks were very dangerous and they were able to penetrate the Manchester United defence. I imagine the Watford players you're talking about would be Ismail Saar, who is their, their winger. Uh, you watched the game, Tim. Would, was it easy for Watford? What, what was it like? Or were, were Watford very good or were United very bad? Well, I think it was a bit of both. Uh, I was listening to some Watford fans yesterday saying it was possibly their best ever Premier League performance uh, in terms of um, great defending, great pressuring, moving the ball well in attack. Uh, And yes, the dangerous men were Saar, but also Joshua King, which will be painful for United fans because, of course, he came through the uh, Manchester United Academy. And Mm. Tom Cleverley was playing well as well. And as an old United player, again, that will hurt the United fans. Mm. Um, But let's really talk about this match. It was 4-1, but 4-1 was potentially um, flattering for United They saved two penalties in the first half, did United? What do you mean by flattering? Well, I think 4-1 made, made United look, look good. Mm. Um, when you flatter someone, you say nice things about them. Um, so, sorry, um, Watford missed, missed a penalty in the first half, um, and it was already 2-0 at half-time, so it was easy going. And then United um, pushed on in the second half. They made some changes. They brought Donny van der Beek onto the pitch. And he scored with almost his first touch. Again, piling the pressure onto Ole Gunnar Solskjaer after Donny van der Beek has been substitute so many games, hasn't even touched the pitch so often. Mm. Um, And he comes on and he makes an immediate impact. And then, just as United, you know know what United are like, Tom, in the second half, chasing a game. Mm. You know they always find a way to, to, to keep the ball, to put a lot of pressure on the other team. And they were doing that. And who do you expect not to, to make a massive error? Your Harry cap- Maguire. Your captain, yeah, the captain. The person you kind of want to represent the club on the pitch um, and with a spirit and, and mentality. Well, he got two yellow cards within seven minutes and mm. his second yellow card was such a stupid piece of decision-making. Yes, I watched it. It looked like an amateur football moment where the ball was played back to him. He was being pressured a little bit, but he's had time to control the ball and pass it. That's all he needed to do. Instead, 
He took his time on the ball. The player, the, the Watford player, closed him down. And he decided to try and beat the Watford player. But his first touch to knock it past the Watford player was loose. He hit it into the, the Watford player's path and then immediately fouled him for the second yellow card. So it was a real amateur football moment for Harry Maguire. Yeah, um, I, it's really strange, Harry Maguire, because when he was at Leicester, he looked such a complete centre-back. Um, but then in this United side, and also a little bit for England, he looks very exposed. He looks like he's really feeling the pressure of being the main man in that defence. Um, and then United pushed on, but Watford exposed the gaps behind and in extra time scored two more goals and 4-1, Tom. I mean, a club like Watford beating Manchester United mm. 4-1, it's a historic result. And it left Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in an almost impossible position. Uh, some would call it an untenable position. If you're untenable, mm -hmm. is that a position you can maintain or not? You can't maintain it. It's, uh, yes, it's, can we say, inviable or unviable? Yes, be? it actually comes from the Latin, tener. You can't uh -huh. have it anymore, uh -huh. untenable. Uh -huh. um, so, yes, his, it made his position totally untenable. Um, and that comes to the question, Tom, um, was it the right time for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to go? Did he have to go? What went wrong? I think that uh, the decision was probably made in the Manchester United boardroom with the, the owners of the club, the, the Glazer family from the United States. I, it, I suspect that decision was already made when they lost 5-0 at home to Liverpool about three or four weeks ago. However, for the new manager coming in, they probably looked at the fixture list and thought, hmm, we've got Manchester City coming up, we've got the international break, let's keep Ole in his position. But I expect they were already starting to look around for a new manager after that Liverpool defeat. So I was surprised that he continued for as long as he did. Yes, I mean, the timing was certainly strange. Um, I think you're right. I think that Liverpool result, the writing was on the wall. And when the writing's on the wall, we, means, we mean all the symbols, all the signs are there. Mm -hmm. um, yes, you were saying it, was, uh, it would be easy to predict that uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was going to be sacked when the writing is on the wall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and let's have a look at their form. I mean, in the last six games in the league, they've lost four of them. Uh, including uh, a 5-0 loss to against Liverpool, a 2-0 loss against City, where, to be honest, City could have scored 5 or 6. So, of course, they lost 4-1 to Watford. Um, even their, some of their good results in the last few games have been last-minute goals, last-minute comebacks. They haven't been a result of, of Manchester United playing proper football. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, yes, it's, it's been a very difficult position for him. Mm-hmm. So uh, my question is really, what went wrong, Tim? Well, if you speak to a lot of United fans, um, a common problem that they, they have been speaking about for a long time now is the centre of midfield. Uh, if you look at the players United have to choose from in the centre of midfield, especially the deeper positions, you're looking at Fred, um, McTominay, uh, Pogba, uh, Matic, and all of these players have got problems. Uh, I was saying, I, I heard uh, United fans saying that McTominay can't tackle, Matic can't run, and Fred can't pass. Uh, between them, they might be one good player. But as three individual players, they've all got a fatal flaw. And what do I mean when, when I say a fatal flaw? 
A flaw. In this case, you mean a, a mistake, a weakness is probably more accurate for a flaw, a weakness. Yeah, something, a, a problem in their game that will mm -hmm. always get found by the opposition. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's been the case. And, and you look at how many good players they've got in attack um, and how little ball they give to those players. And if you're a, if you're a Ronaldo, if you're a Bruno Fernandes, a Rashford, uh, a Greenwood... And, and you're not getting good regular ball from the midfield. It's got to be frustrating. And if you look at the possession stats, when United come up against other teams, other big teams, they always sacrifice possession. They're always the team that, that, that gives the ball to the other team. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think United fans, that's not the football that they've been, uh, they've been brought up watching under Alex mm -hmm. Ferguson to be the team who sacrifices possession. So I think the writing has been on the wall. And the biggest problem, I think, in terms of tactics is the centre of the park. In terms of playing, mm -hmm. player quality and tactics is the centre of the park. I agree with you about tactics, although I would focus on another area that's been a problem. Yeah, but in this case, it's a combination of tactics and form. I'm talking about the form of the defence. If you look at this Manchester United defence, you have Luke Shaw, you have Harry Maguire and Varane if he's fit. If, he's, if Varane is not fit, then you have Baye and Lindelof as substitute defenders, centre-backs. And a bit like you were saying with the three midfielders can make one good player between them, I feel the same about Lindelof and Baye. If they were combined, they'd be a super player, but neither one of them on their own has quite got enough quality, I think. And then right back, they've got Wan-Bissaka. Now, if these players are in form and have a good cohesion, if they are playing in a good way, then they could be okay. But I think that this season, many of the players have been out of form, particularly the English players. Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire have been criticised a lot. Wan-Bissaka... Good defender. I'm. I'm yet to be convinced that he's got enough attacking quality to to be that position for Manchester United. So, definitely the form of the defenders for me has been the problem. But I would also say that tactically, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is responsible. And what I mean is, I believe Solskjaer's style is to play fast counter-attacking football, and he wants to bring in young, quick players who can do the counter-attack which is very good. It was successful then for them at the beginning, and it did very well for players like Marcus Rashford and uh, Greenwood, who came into the team. But what happens when you come up against a team, for example, like Villarreal in the final of the Europa League, a team who will say to Manchester United, OK, here's the football, you break us down, we're going to defend against you. We saw in that fight. Did you watch that final, Tim? Yeah, I did. I did watch it. And they did really struggle to break Villarreal down. What do you mean mm. by break them down? Yes, it, it means to, to find a way through the defence. But I'm talking about the stage of football where your team is in possession of the ball. When you are counter-attacking, it's quicker because there's a, it's a quick transition. And often you can find exp uh, space and expose the defence because they have been attacking and they've left gaps behind them. But when the opposing team is in front of the ball with 10 men to beat. Man United can't break teams down. They don't know how to keep the ball and work it in fine spaces. I think this is something that Ole Gonosolska has not developed with this Manchester United team. Uh, it, you could blame the attacking players and the midfield for not linking together, but actually 
It's something that the whole team needs to do collectively, to work on breaking down teams when they are in possession of the ball. I wonder if it's a, a generational thing. Um, in English football, um, I suppose, over the last 10 years, the way that teams attack has changed, mainly because of uh, Guardiola. Uh, in the Ferguson's time, the defence was controlled in a tactical sense uh, and practised on the training ground. And... Um, and then a lot of freedom was given to the attacking players. They were kind of told, trust your instincts, trust mm -hmm. your talent. Uh, and Guardiola has been the kind of person who's micromanaged the transition of play from the defence forward through the pitch. And Guardiola only really gives freedom uh, to attack um, trusting your own talent in the last 20 metres of the pitch. Mm -hmm. And that's a very different style to the traditional manager. And I wonder if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer represents an old school style of football and he's relying a bit too much on the talent of the individuals as opposed to trying to, to create an extra layer of ability on top of the talent uh, but based on the training ground. Yes, I'd, I'd agree with that point. I, I think it's the same thing that uh, was Jose Mourinho's downfall with uh, Tottenham Hotspur and Manchester United recently. He has a very nice style of football, suited for English football about 15 years ago, but the game has evolved. I, I think you're right that Pep Guardiola deserves some credit for that. He's brought in this total possession style of football where you keep the ball, keep the ball, keep the ball. Even if you pass back to your goalkeeper, you start again. Build your ta attacks from deep. Uh, this is the new style. And if Man Manchester United or any team want to compete in 20, the year football in the year 2021, they have to find a way to play possession football to uh, equal to this or a style that can defeat this a side that I've seen playing totally the opposite style of football to Manchester United this season has been a, a team who they've played in the Champions League Atalanta mm -hmm. Atalanta have been incredible at moving the ball and not just exploiting space when it exists but moving the ball in a way which creates space uh, and then exploiting it and, and just that kind mm -hmm. of intelligence the collective mm -hmm. intelligence that United seem to lack well, mm. both in midfield and in defence. Well, collectively you're right, but they've got one or two players. Should we, for example, Bruno Fernandes, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, have they let him down? Well, I do have some players that I think uh, have performed badly and have contributed to the, uh, to, the, to the downfall of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And when we say the downfall, we usually use it... Uh, uh, to describe the end of, a, of an empire or a government or something like that. When, when a government or an empire falls and finishes, the downfall of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, if I had studied history, I would know the year, but I don't. <laughs> um, but I, I've got a, a little list of players. Four, 476 AD. Uh, <laughs> supposedly. <laughs> um, anyway, so I have got a list. and I, I, We've already spoken a bit about him, but we'll let, let's talk again. Maguire. When he came in from Leicester, he was the heart of the Leicester defence. United had a weak defence, a leaky defence. Remember, we've spoken about this word in previous episodes. Leaky is when a little bit of water gets through. A leaky defence is when the, the ball and the attacks get through. Um, and he came to United and he started well. Um, and you could argue that the positivity that surrounded the early days of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer coincided. They happened at the same time as, as Maguire arriving to the club, uh, eventually mm -hmm. quite quickly being given the captain's armband 
uh, which was a big thing. Um, but then recently, over the last year, I think he's he's prone to an error. And when it's prone to an error, I mean an error is likely to happen. Mm-hmm. I've seen it a few times, especially when he's being turned. So he's, he likes the games we played in front of him. He likes the ball in front of him, the, def- the, the attacker to be in front of him. He's quite an aggressive defender in that sense. But then when the ball gets played in behind... Um, he hasn't got a very fast turning circle, and I, and I, and and you can see he it puts him in desperate situations. Uh, a bit like yesterday, he made that bad touch. He realised the defend the attacker was going to get there in front of him, and he thought, "I've got to make the tackle because if I get turned, there's no way I'm going to attack. I'm going to catch this attacking player." Um, and the other big aspect of his game that I've noticed weaknesses, and again it happened yesterday, is bringing the ball out of defence. I know he's good with his feet and he can play a good pass, but I think in, at United he's being asked to kind of run the ball from the defence at least five or six times a game. And I don't think he's that technical. I think he's got a good pass on him. I think he can ping a nice 40-yard pass. And when we say ping a pass, Mm -hmm. it's a nice football expression to say hit a clean, true, hard pass a long distance. And I think he can do that. But with the ball at his feet, with with his head down, I don't think that's his strength. And I think his weakness in that sense has been discovered and is being exploited. Mm-hmm. What do you think about Harry Maguire? Yes, I, I think you're right. I think him and Luke Shaw were on a big high with a lot of attention this summer with the, the European Championship final. And it's often true that players after this emotional high have a few months where they they have the low, the corresponding low. So I appreciate that his form hasn't been great. I don't think he's the worst of the defenders, though. I think, uh, of course, Varane is much better. But then given a choice between Maguire, Lindelof or Baye, I would probably take Maguire if he was in form. Yes, but you didn't spend £80 million on Baye or, or yeah. Lindelof. I mean, it was a huge amount of money they spent on, on, mm-hmm. on Harry Maguire. Um, another problem player, and I can relate to this at my, through my time at Arsenal and, and Mesut Ozil, is, um, is Paul Pogba. And it's strange to say this for a World Cup winner, a European Championship winner, a player that United fans were so desperate to uh, to get hold of when he was at Juventus, so happy to bring him home. Um, but I think it's been a total disaster since he's come. Um, I don't think he's ever justified his his reputation in the United side. I think he creates problems. There's always discussions about his contributions on the pitch, off the pitch. I think that red card against Manchester City recently was exactly symptomatic of, of, of the problems of attitude that he has. His, his, his technical qualities are not in dispute, but I don't think he's found the best position for himself at United. And after four or five years, that's a long time not to have found your best position. And I wonder if he is a dysfunctional midfielder because He's not a number 10, but he's not willing to do the, the, the tackling, the running of, of a deeper player. And I, I think the only reason he's successful for France is because he's got such an exceptional player alongside him in Kante. And that makes me think about Danny Drinkwater when he played for Leicester. He used to say, I play in central midfield. To the right of me is N'Golo Kante, and to the left of me is N'Golo Kante. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me think that Pogba 
um, benefits massively playing for France, mm-hmm. playing with a player who's who's going to do his running for him. And and at United, um, he's got Fred, he's got McTominay, he's got Matic who can't run. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so he's not he's not any position. I don't know. I still don't know what Paul Pogba's best position mm-hmm. is uh, this season. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has resorted to playing him from the left because he doesn't trust him with the central midfield responsibilities. And I suppose he's 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 desperate and he wants to put him on the on, on the pitch. Mm-hmm. What do you think about Paul Pogba, Tom? I think when Man United re-signed him from Juventus for close to one hundred million, the Juventus board, the the club were laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, Pogba looked very good at Juventus because he had some fantastic players around him. But uh, I don't believe that on his own, you know, you for that money, you would expect him to be the comandante, el capitan, you know, the main man holding down that midfield place, starting every week, the first name on the team sheet. And at United, he's not been that player, which shows that it would be interesting to see how Manchester United do in training. And when they picked pick players for five-a-side football, you suspect that Paul Pogba might be one of the last players picked because people think that they're not going to win with him. Yeah, I mean, he's a really frustrating player because he's got so much natural talent, um, but he seems to spend a lot of his um, his time in the hairdressers as opposed mm. to uh, in the tactics room. Um, I, I, an interesting player because if you look at his goals and his assists, then then moving on to our next player, then Bruno Fernandes is undoubtedly a massive contributor at Manchester United, but. If you look behind uh, those statistics, or if you look in greater detail at those statistics, a lot of those goals are penalties. A lot of those assists are corners and free kicks that have been headed in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder how much in open play, in free open play, how much does Bruno Fernandes contribute? And I, I made, made me think about this this summer when I was watching the Portugal uh, in the European Championships. And Bruno's substitute for Portugal. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you look at um, games and, and he wants a lot of time on the ball. He wants to get the ball in space. He doesn't want to get the ball with, with pressure on him. Um, and I wonder if he's let, let, um, let Ole Gunnar Solskjaer down a bit this season. It, again, it's hard to criticise him totally because when he first came to the club, he did do some really good things. I'm talking about his recent form. Mm-hmm. I think that Bruno Fernandes is a very special player. Uh, I had him in my fantasy team when he came to Manchester United and he was a big point scorer. He was consistent. The problem I believe he's got is CR7, Cristiano Ronaldo. I think Bruno Fernandes is great when he's the main man, when the team is instructed, give the ball to Bruno, find Bruno in some space and let him do his thing. That's what happened at Manchester United when he arrived and had that fantastic season for them when his first season at the club. But both at Portugal and at Manchester United, when you're playing in the shadow of Cristiano, you have to change your game, you have to adapt, you have to look for a pass where previously you might have instinctively shot. So I think that Bruno Fernandes has... I, I, I'm still yet, yet to be convinced that he can play with Cristiano Ronaldo. On a, on a separate point, related to that point though, Tom, I've, I've made a little list here of, of, of luxury players. I've, I've got Ozil, Pogba, Bruno. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, 
Is there a role in a modern football team in the centre of midfield for someone who isn't willing to, to make personal sacrifices for the good of the team? Um, mm. And I think you look at those three players in Ozil, Pogba and Bruno, they're, they're not industrious players. You can't imagine um, an Jurgen Klopp putting them in the side. You can't imagine a, a Guardiola putting them in the side mm-hmm. or, or even a, a Tuchel. Um, I wonder in the modern game, with, with so much pressing from the front being expected, um, I don't know if that, if that kind of player isn't maybe becoming a little bit antiquated. I think you're right. Antiquated is a nice word. What do you mean? Um, out of date, no mm-hmm. longer relevant, old. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, I don't have a Nokia 3210 anymore, Tom, mm-hmm. even though it had a great snake game on it, mm-hmm. because it's antiquated technology. Yes, so you're saying the luxury player now is antiquated. I would agree with that. I think that in modern football, the managers who have been successful, particularly in the Premier League, have attacking players, players who previously might have been given freedom purely to attack. Those attacking players are working very, very hard now for those teams. They're chasing the ball down. They're starting to put pressure on the opposition much more. And if they don't all do it at the same time, then that stops that team playing the pressing pressure game. So I think in modern football, there's a lot less room for these luxury players. Yeah, Um, so it'd be interesting to see what happens because, um, well, Pogba's out of contract this summer. I I imagine most United fans will want to see the back of him. Um, Mm -hmm. But Bruno's still going to continue, so it'd be interesting to see how they get the most Mm -hmm. out of him, uh, whoever the next manager Mm is. Tom, let's let's move on, and we're going to talk about some strange cases, some players that um, whose situation and circumstances have have caused a lot of questions, have invited criticism, and uh, have in some ways uh, made a rod for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's own back. And that's a nice expression to make a rod for your own back. What does mm-hmm. that mean, Tom? Uh, it means to to make the situation more difficult, more uncomfortable, to cause a problem for Ole Solskjaer. Yeah, to, to create a situation which then damages you. Mm-hmm. I suppose similar to dig your own grave is another mm-hmm. one that's very common. Um, but anyway, so let's let's jump in. Uh, let's. Uh, I can think of 80 million reasons why he should be playing Jadon Sancho. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think apart from Messi and Ronaldo, he's got one of the highest goal contributions in goals and assists over the last two or three seasons in European mm-hmm. football. He's one of the the jewels of 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 the of the German league last season. I think he won Young Player of the Year over um over Haaland. Um and and yeah, he can't get a look in. He he doesn't he doesn't. Yeah, he started, I think, two games this season. He's been left on the bench time after time. It's a strange business, isn't it? When you said he can't get a look in, he, he means he's not giving. He's not getting an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, the the Bundesliga is a is an excellent league for young players, but these days it's it's not quite at the same level as the Premier League, with the exception of of a few of the biggest clubs there. So. I appreciate that Jadon Sancho would need a few months to adapt to the style of Premier League football as well as the new players that he's playing with, as well as his role of being less important in that squad of superstars. So I can see why he might need a bit more time, but I would question why they bought him in the first place, because I think they already had plenty of fabulous players like 
Rashford, Martial, players who can play that role from the wing. Yeah, um, we're going to talk about the club later, but um, planning does seem a bit strange because it's not just one summer they've gone after Sancho. They were desperate for Sancho last summer as well. Mm -hmm. So it's two years they've been chasing a player, they've spent a huge amount of money on him, and he doesn't play. It seems to me very strange. And he was an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer signing. He was in his time. Um, and I think this is just another reason why Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has invited criticism, has made a rod for his own back. Moving on, um, interestingly, he's uh, married to Dennis Bergkamp's daughter, Donny van der Beek, the forgotten man, the Ajax Champions League semi-final player. Uh, he was a great midfielder for them. There was high expectations when he came to Manchester United. But I think in, in 18 months, he's hardly touched the pitch. I, I read that uh, Solskjaer doesn't fancy him. He doesn't have confidence in him, doesn't trust him in those big games, in the big moments. Uh, I'm sure that some Ajax fans would disagree with that and say well you've got to give him time you've got to give him a chance but this this United Manchester United squad is very very competitive for those attacking positions so if I was in Solskjaer's shoes I, I would probably leave out Van der Beek anyway and I would probably ask the board why did you sign this player I, I, I don't know if it, I don't think it was a Solskjaer signing I suspect it was the sporting director, Edward, is it Martin Woodward? Edward Wood. Edward. Edward Wood. But, um, but again, he was, he was bought whilst uh, Solskjaer was manager. Ed Woodward's a banker. Um, mm. So a lot of money was spent on him. And it was, what's strange, it's, it's not that he was given an opportunity, played badly and then was, was left out of the side. He was never given an opportunity. He hasn't, he hasn't played badly to lose his, his place in the team. And I think they spent £25-30 million pounds on him. And mm -hmm. it makes you wonder what their scouting uh, network is doing. The scouts are the, the people who look at potential buys. Mm -hmm. um, you've got Sancho, who's calm and obviously got problems to his game. You've got Donny van der Beek, who's calm and obviously got problems to his game. So it makes me wonder what the scouting team are doing. Um, mm -hmm. And Tom, another player who has... Um, got people speaking this season, uh, is Jesse Lingard. You'll have seen a lot of him last season because he was on loan at West Ham. Mm -hmm. He's 29 years old now. He's been, um, he's, he feels like a young United player because he's never really broken into their side. Mm -hmm. But he's hardly got a game this season. He, he was promised minutes. Uh, he hasn't had the minutes. Um, do you think he might have made a difference to this midfield? Yes, absolutely. I think Jesse Lingard proved at West Ham that he has attacking qualities that, uh, yes, and confidence and, and a way that, that we'd forgotten about. You know, he scored some big goals in cup finals before, but he was always a squad player at United, at West Ham United on that loan, uh, the second half of last season as a loan player. He shone for us. Uh, so, I think he deserves to start more. But I have to say, Tim, I'm not disappointed that he isn't because I heard that he posed. By posed, I mean he dressed up or put a photo of himself in a West Ham United uniform, a football kit last week on social media. So it gives me hope. It gives me optimism 
that Jesse might be coming back to London. And Jesse, you're very welcome at West Ham. Well, as you know, Tom, if it's on social media, it must be true. <laughs> um, so, yes, I'd like to see him go back to West Ham because, as, as I say, he's 29 years old. And it makes me a little bit sad when you see these players who have spent their life trying to get minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> a life on the bench. Uh, it's a bit of a sad existence, and and if he went back, he could have two or three years and be and be celebrated as a hero. And I think when we're growing up as kids playing football, the idea of fans shout, shouting our name is mm-hmm. uh, is what we dream about. Um, mm-hmm. Let's move on, Tom. We've spoken about some strange uh, happenings with the players, and let's talk about the potential new managers. Ooh, okay, well. The rumour is, from what we've seen in the newspaper, Manchester United want an interim manager. What does interim manager mean? An interim manager is a temporary manager who uh, will will keep the job until they can find um, a more permanent manager. Mm-hmm. You can say an interim manager or you can also say a caretaker manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's not forget... Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was brought in originally as a caretaker manager, so they want to be a little bit careful um, that the same things don't happen again. Um, I, I think this makes sense from certainly the board's position, because let's face it, at this point in the season, you're not going to get the best managers. Most of them are already tied in to campaigns with their clubs, and uh, they, it, it, I think it can show disloyalty for a manager to walk away from a club so soon into the season. So I think an interim manager makes sense, uh, also because they can get them on a much lower contract, uh, and that will suit. Then they can then then they can stick or twist. If the man- interim manager is successful, they say you were great. Here's a new contract. If he wasn't successful, they say thank you for your time. You did a great job. Now let's bring in the superstar manager. Well, of course, the big available name at the moment is, of course, Sam Allardyce. Uh, <laughs> if United are worried about relegation, he could come in and do a job for them. No, but all, all seriousness. We've got a list here of um, the, the most probable managers, according to our betting companies. Um, and let's start at the top. We've got Michael Carrick, who is, of course, a former United player. He's been on the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer coaching staff. Um, and that, and he is their inter- interim manager. He has been named uh, caretaker manager. That so makes if- sense. That's a smooth transition for the club because he, he's already at the club. He's already settled in with all the players. Yes, I can see why he is the favourite. Yes, that is one way of looking at it. I would look at it slightly differently. I would look at it in the way that um, the problems existed He's been around the problem, he's seen the problem, he hasn't been able to solve the problem, so what makes it possible that he's going to solve it now? If Mm -hmm. I were Manchester United, I would get rid of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, all of the coaches, and start fresh. Even even with an interim manager, I would bring in a new team, I'd, I'd want a break from the past, especially we've spoken about some of the problems United have, and that's moving the ball through midfield. Michael Carrick was a centre midfielder whose job was to move the ball through midfield. So if he hasn't up to now been able to connect with Matic, Fred, McTominay, Pogba, then I don't really see what's going to make him start being able to connect now. But let's move on to some of the big names. Uh, And the big name on 
our list is Zinedine Zidane. Why would United be interested in Zinedine Zidane, Tom? Can you think of any reasons? I can think of a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, he, he's still a world great of football. There's, if you ask many people, they'll say the best ever, better than Pele, better than Maradona. So attracting a star name like that will inevitably, by inevitably I mean uh, very likely or very probably, attract other superstars to follow him. I mean, great players will follow Zinedine Zidane. If I was a United fan, I wouldn't be um, so confident uh, with the idea of uh, Zinedine Zidane. There's a few things that would leave me asking questions. One of them is his language skills. Apparently, he doesn't speak English. Uh, and I would be worried about a, a manager coming in in the middle of the season with no time, trying to communicate ideas immediately. Um, and another problem I would have with Zidane is the fact that he's had success at Real Madrid, a club where he played, a club where he was loved by the fans because of his, his playing career. Um, and I wonder if he could replicate that kind of success in a different club. And I know people will say, oh, look at Guardiola. But Guardiola at Barcelona re re redefined football. He changed football with the tactics. It was obvious that the input he was having on the uh, on the training pitch was having uh, a result on the on on the on the football pitch but with zinedine zidane i'm not quite so sure i kind of feel that at real madrid he was able to to get the best out of the players he knew he was able to play a very efficient system but i don't know if it was anything revolutionary or anything with that was uh, tactically genius mm -hmm. are um, you saying he he was lucky that he had players like uh, modric and cruz and marcelo and you know the, these superstar Real Madrid players. I think he was the right man for Real Madrid at the right time. I've always had a belief that if you have better players, then you don't really need to have better tactics because in theory you should be able to play the same tactics as the team you're playing against mm -hmm. and more often than not your quality will, will help you win. And I feel a bit like that uh, with Zinedine Zidane. I don't think he was a tactical genius. So I, I would have some questions. Uh, let's, moving on. let's move on to the next name on the list, Brendan Rodgers. Now, he's had some great form at Liverpool. He, great, uh, uh, not, uh, he had some good form at Liverpool. He's had some recent really good form at Leicester. Mm -hmm. But Leicester are 10th in the league at the moment. Um, uh, yes, Leicester have slipped down the table. They're on a bad league run. I think they're doing better in the Europa League. But uh, considering what he's achieved, I don't think his job is in danger at Leicester. But because of perhaps this lapse in form, it makes me think that it's quite possible he might be open to a new start. Uh, and, of course, a giant club with a huge contract. I'm sure uh, Manchester United will be able to offer something much bigger and financially more lucrative. What What's lucrative? Lucrative, it means it gives you more money. Mm -hmm, yes, Some, uh, Manchester United have more than Leicester. So I can see why he's third favourite for the job. Again, it will come down to loyalty. Will Brendan Rodgers prefer to stay loyal to his current group of players? Or will the, the bright lights and the, the big bucks, I mean the money of Old Trafford, tempt him? Yeah, and um, you know, Tom, I am a tribal football fan. Mm -hmm. If I was a United fan and I was offered a Liverpool reject manager, mm 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I would probably uh, not want him mm. just on that, regardless of if he's improved or if I thought he could win with Manchester United. I think tribalism is still very strong, and I think a lot of United fans will won't won't be too motivated by the idea of Brendan mm. Rodgers. Um, let's move on to the next. Let's talk about two more off this list. Uh, mm. Maurizio Pochettino. Uh, he's been linked on and off with the Manchester United mm. job for years now. Um, he's at Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, who would you rather manage, Tom? Would you rather manage Neymar, Messi, Mbappe, or Fred, Maguire, mm-hmm. and, uh, or, or, or Matic? Well, you left my favourite player off that list, the first list, Marquinhos of PSG, Verratti. Uh, there's no question about it. If you're Poch, Pochettino, you stick. You stay in the job you're at now. You've got a better squad You've, you've got a, an ownership with just as much money, perhaps more money than the United, Manchester United Glazers. Stick. Poch is not going anywhere. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think I agree with you. And the last one is uh, Ten Hag, the, um, the Ajax manager. Um, now, I, 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 I'm a big fan of what Ajax uh, are doing over the last few years. Obviously, he's got them to the Champions League semi-final. He's having a good year again this year in the Champions League. Um, he's been able to sell big players from his, play, from his first team and make good signings, which makes me think uh, that's another good sign. You're not just able to build one side, but you're able to see mm-hmm. that side torn apart and construct another side. I think that's always a sign of a good manager. Mm-hmm. But he's been offered... Some big jobs mid-season, he's turned them down. I've, I, I've got from good sources that he will reject any jobs until the summer. He's dedicated to, to Ajax until the end of this season. So mm-hmm. I can't see that happening. So maybe what you were saying, the interim manager might be a good idea. I'd agree with that. Uh, we talked about it last week. I watched uh, Ajax play against Borussia Dortmund and uh, he's got a fantastic squad. Ajax, of course, always develop great talent through their youth system. Uh, and I think he will be in a better position at the end of this season, particularly if Ajax get to the quarterfinals of the Champions League and win their domestic league, then that will be a successful season for him. So uh, he'll be in a much stronger position at the end of this season. So do we think Michael Carrick? Um, I think Michael Carrick will probably see us through to the end of the season. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. would be my prediction. Uh, Unless something dramatic happens. I'd like to imagine that Ferguson wouldn't rule out, totally rule out a return if it got Mm -hmm. desperate. But maybe that's just the romantic speaking in me. Uh I think Manchester United fans would love that. I think they certainly would. We're talking about Sir Alec Ferguson, yeah, Yeah. not not Duncan. No, 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 no. Um, So in terms of uh, that was who it might be, now let's move on to talk about who it definitely won't be. And that kind of brings us on to our last topic of the the Manchester United manager situation, and that is uh, poor planning on a club level. Above the manager, we're talking about boardroom and uh, director of football. So for all of our listeners, uh, if anyone who doesn't know, of course, Manchester United are owned by an American... American owner, the Glazer family, uh, and their director of football is has a banking background, uh, and he's called Ed Woodward. So the managers they're not going to be able to appoint are firstly Antonio Conte, because he's uh, just been appointed uh, Tottenham manager. Although he has only been given an 18-month contract, I don't see it possible that he would be bought out. Um, And I just think this is terrible timing for Manchester United because it was quite obvious, as you said earlier, Tom, after the the Liverpool game or the City game, that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had to go. 
And Conte was the big big name on the market. He won the league last season at Inter Milan. He's won the league in England before. He's he put Juventus back on the map as a, as an Italian football club. Um, I think he was the obvious choice. And United were, were slow. And I think they've missed a good top level manager there. What do you think? Yes, Conte. He he did it at at Chelsea. He won the league with Chelsea. He's won the league at Inter Milan, so he's on a winning streak as a club manager. Uh, yes, why not? You would go for a winner. I would, I would fancy Conte, but I would be a little bit. I would keep one eye on the bank account because I, I think that he does like to spend a bit of money to build his winning teams. That's that's true, but uh, United do like spending money. There's, we've got a nice expression, to throw money at a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, United love throwing money at problems. Mm-hmm. Um, another name, we've already spoken about him a little bit, is uh, Pochettino. Um, he's tied up in a job now, but when he was sacked from Tottenham, um, I think United had started a bad run last season. Um, and also, just... A few years ago, when when before Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was given the job, Pochettino was in the frame for the job then. By in the frame, I mean he was in the picture. He was part of the equation, part of the conversations. Um, and his work at firstly Southampton and then at Tottenham, getting a small club like Tottenham to the Champions League final on the back of being essentially one or two players. Um, he was the right man for that for that job. He plays... Quite nice football to watch. Okay, it's not attacking, attacking football, but it's not defensive Mourinho football. And I think they they missed the right opportunity then as well. I think so. I, I my tip is still that Pochettino will be lifting the Champions League final with PSG this year. So I think he'll do well to stay at PSG. And another two that they've missed out on: uh, Nangelsmann, who's now at uh, Bayern Munich, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, Thomas Tuchel, who now, of course, is at Chelsea. Now, if you were to say to any United fan in the world, who would you rather, any of those four managers, Conte, Tuchel, Pochettino and Angelsman, or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I think at any time over the last 18 months, any United fan would have said those four names. So that makes me think that at board level, the Glazers, Ed Woodward, they're... they're then they don't have enough knowledge of football. They they missed opportunities when they were there. They've wasted money. They've mm-hmm. let they've let the ship sink slowly mm-hmm. in some ways. I think uh, thousands of Manchester United fans who are listening to this podcast will all be nodding their heads in agreement now. Well, to, before we finish, I found myself yesterday sending a message to a friend of mine who's a United fan, and I said to him. You know it's bad when an Arsenal fan is starting to feel sorry for you. Um, and he texted me back and he said, yeah, it's horrible, isn't it? Uh, and we had a moment. Arsenal had just lost to Liverpool. United had just lost to Watford. And uh, we, we realised how far our teams have fallen over the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. Yes. So do you think we've uh, covered everything we wanted to about Manchester United, Tim? Yes, more or less. Um, more or less. Um, Any other news? I saw, for example, that Barcelona got their first win uh, yes. under Xavi. It was a local derby against Espanyol. Mm-hmm. Um, Memphis Depay was on the spot uh, from a penalty to get the goal. Mm-hmm. But I read that um, that uh, Espanyol looks the better side and Ooh. in some ways the draw would have been a fairer result. 
Uh, and in the other big news in Spanish football, of course, is uh, Almeria beat Valladolid uh, 3-1 uh, to go 12 points clear of third place. Mm. And um, the city is starting to get a bit excited, Tom. Yes. Automatic promotion would be fantastic because we've all got a trauma of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So, yes, will you be buying a season ticket next year if they go up to the Premier League, Almeria? I certainly will, yes. Uh, I managed to get to the stadium a few weeks ago. It was a nice atmosphere, some good football. Um, It's exciting times, exciting Mm -hmm. times. So let's keep our fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. One more question about the Spanish league. I see that Sevilla are top with uh, Sociedad. Uh, David Silva has worked wonders with the Sociedad team are in second place. Atleti in third Real Madrid and Betis fourth and fifth. I think Barcelona are sixth place. Do you think it will stay like this to the end of the season or will we see a return of the big boys to the top? Unfortunately, I don't think it will stay like this. Uh, Real Madrid never seemed to play good football before Christmas. Uh, in January, they, um, they find a way to get results and then by May, they're lifting trophies. So I, unfortunately, I don't see Real Sociedad or, or Seville uh, having the legs... To, to stay late mm. into the race. Having the legs, like having the stamina, the energy. Yes, yeah. having the endurance. To have mm. the legs is what? Well, it's from, from a marathon, I suppose. If mm. you don't have the legs, you don't last until the mm. end. Yes, I'm inclined to agree with you. I, I don't think we'll see all three of the, the big teams, Atleti, Barcelona and Real Madrid, in the top three places. I think the Barcelona rebuilding job may take longer, but uh, I do suspect that it will... The, the title, the championship, will go to either one of the Madrid clubs this year. Yeah, me too. So, before we finish, uh, I'd like to tell all of our listeners to um, to leave us a review. Uh, very kindly leave us a review. Say something nice even. That would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, if you'd like to ask us a question, if you'd like to set the content for next week, uh, get onto our Facebook group. Uh, that's English learners who love football. Uh, ask us a question or even just say, Tim or Tom, we'd like you to talk about this match or that match or this thing that's happening in the world football. And we would love to answer your questions. Yes, come and join the conversation. And if you like what we're doing and you want to help us, just leave us a little rating on the, uh, the platform that you're listening to us on or even better, write a little comment for us. And, and if we like it, we'll read it out next week. So have a good week. Speaking football, speaking English. Uh, That's all from us. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you, Tim. Have a good one.